Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey there, welcome. Welcome to a Thursday, January 23. Um, just some scuttlebutt that, uh, just scuttlebutt that just crossed my desk. Uh, I want to pass it on to you. We were talking yesterday about, uh, oh no, we weren't. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. I can't believe this. It's awful to have an old brain. It's awful. At least I caught that total mix-up uh, before I embarrass myself. Um, I'm I'm a little loath to start talking about the impeachment uh, trial because. I don't know where I'm going to end up, but um, unlike most Americans, I watched. I watched a great deal of it last night, yesterday afternoon and into the evening. And I just want to say this. I have the hots for Hakeem Jeffries. Oh, and in a pinch, I'd take Adam Schiff, too. Man, those two are so unbelievably good at this. Uh, compelling, eloquent, and if people would just bother to listen, they would see that I am absolutely correct. Um, I mean, I what is wrong with me? I, I found it compelling and the news media spend much of their time just driving in I heard some reporters say well I don't know if I can uh, condense eight hours of uh, of what was the Democrats uh, testimony um, uh, into a few minutes here I mean uh, you know, the senators were getting restless, and we don't want our audience to get restless. I think that's what this reporter said. And I thought, we're doomed. We are doomed. We are, to quote Chris Potter for the millionth time, an unserious people living in very serious times. Can you imagine, we're talking about the impeachment of the president of supposedly the most powerful nation on earth. And we the people are not paying attention. I can tell we're not paying attention. And when Adam Schiff talked for over two hours yesterday afternoon, the complaints, the whining from Republicans that they had to sit through that. Well, let me tell you, I sat through it, and I found it compelling and interesting. And a lot of these senators, of course, never paid any attention to the, uh, the House when it held its hearings, so they had not heard the testimony of witnesses. 
they had not really heard the case. And Schiff laid it out, step by step by step. And anyone listening would have screamed, Guilty! My God, guilty! Any effort Democrats have made to get more evidence just to help connect dots for the for the strangely uh, handicapped Republicans who can't seem to do that by getting documentation and or calling a witness who stiff-armed them. The Republicans vote time after time after time, no, we're not allowing it. And then they get up and say, the Democrats don't have the evidence. <laughs> and then they go back in and vote down any ability for the Democrats to get it. And if you're paying even a modicum of attention, you see so clearly, it's so blatant, this cynical exercise that the Republicans are committed to. I kept thinking, and I know I'm silly, I can't help it. I kept thinking, how? I mean, the fact is they're stuck there. So eat, unless they're wearing earplugs, some of this has to be getting into them. Some of them maybe feel a twinge of conscience or shame. I know I said this yesterday, but my God. Talk about deplorables. There they are. They're sitting in the Senate chamber. Schiff pleaded with them to listen. He pleaded with them to show a modicum of the courage shown by Fiona Hill and all of the others who risked their careers to step forward and under oath tell us what they witnessed. Schiff says to these senators, they risked their careers are you willing to show the same courage and risk yours and uh, I guess we all have been schooled in what the answer is to that question right the fix is in no no, no. It is said McConnell <laughs> has created the rules he has so that the senators and the public are thinking, God, this is going on for so long, because he insisted it be crammed into this small space of time and I again it's an indication of the cynicism of these people and also 
the, I would say, contempt (laughs) they have for the American people. You know, I have spent, I hate to admit this, almost 45 years in broadcasting of some sort. And in those 45 years, things have changed markedly. And one of the things that has changed that is most apparent now is that media has schooled the viewers, the listeners, into expecting information to come in quick and easily digestible little little bumper stickers. And we have lost the ability to sit for, what, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, a half hour, two hours, and listen to something really important. We consider that torture. And it would be torture for some of these Republicans who have a scintilla of shame to sit there and every once in a while allow themselves to digest some of the evidence that's being presented and to know that they are going to despite their oath that they took They are going to ignore it. And they are going to do the political thing, not the right thing. This is what happens when you create a culture that is based purely on entertainment. And that's what we've done. So we expect to be entertained. And obviously listening to Adam Schiff (laughs) for two hours plus recount the crimes of this president would not be considered entertainment for the vast majority of the American people. We're doomed. I do think we are doomed. I'm sorry I can't bring you better news, but I truly feel that. I, throughout my career in television, um, it was clear that consultants to television stations, newsrooms, were telling uh, the people who ran them that the American people cannot sit, don't do, they do not want to listen to somebody for more than, and I mean, we're talking seconds. So that in the course of my career, I watched what was considered acceptable in terms of what an interviewee could possibly be given time. How much time? I watched that shrink and shrink and shrink 
when I started my career, if somebody had something they had to say, I'd let them say it. As my career continued, I was under orders. You can't let somebody go on like that. It's called a sound bite for a reason. Quick. And so I watched it go from 20 seconds being acceptable to 15 seconds, the most that anyone could tolerate, to 12, to 10, to 8. And so whether or not the consultants were right that people wouldn't sit to be informed for longer than this many seconds, the fact is, is the television news created that expectation in the viewer so that if somebody went on for 20 seconds, it sure as hell seemed like an hour. So I'm not sure what came first, the chicken or the egg, but I do know that the attention span of an American today is the equivalent of that of a fruit fly. And I, admittedly, I don't know much about the attention span of fruit flies. But that means we're incapable of taking in nuanced information. We fidget. Now, oh, come on, cut to the chase. And the world is complicated. It's filled with nuance. And we won't sit for it. By the way, I am told by reporters who are penned in. Are you aware they're penned in during this? They are denied free access to the halls of uh, the Congress, which is what they have always had. The senators are being, like, protected, told how to sneak out of the chamber so they don't have to be asked a question. If you've watched any of it, you know that the beginning of each day, the Chief Justice of the United States tells them that under punishment of imprisonment, <laughs> They must sit in their seats and listen and not speak. Well, guess what? Reporters say that at one point yesterday, while I was dutifully listening, as many as 30 senators had gotten out of their seats and were milling around in anterooms, talking with each other. And I'm wondering, where's the Chief Justice? He's sitting up there. He's watching them leave. He's watching them absolutely flout the rules that he himself has stated. He talked about decorum the day before yesterday, I believe. Well, I thought that under punishment of imprisonment, <laughs> these guys were supposed to follow the rules he so clearly delineated. 
wouldn't that be his position to say uh, uh, the chair um, sees that a number of senators have left their seats and they better get right back in. He didn't say it. Because the senators who had left were overwhelmingly Republicans, of course. Uh, I can't stand this stuff. Okay, yeah, some of the scuttlebutt is, uh, yes, that Mike Terzai is, little Tony has emailed me, Mike Terzai is about to make a big announcement. Uh, Yeah, he's he's getting out. He is not going to run for re-election. Um... And, of course, he landed a nice big job with a utility company. (laughs) This is after being in a political position to make sure that onerous regulations, as they saw it, as the utility company saw it, would never pass the Senate of, uh, of the great Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Yeah. So there's that. And there's this. I understand uh, the man who is the President of the United States has been tweeting uh, ad nauseum during this. I have not um, seen any of them. But this, a statement he made as he was, I guess, uh, leaving uh, Davos, uh, just blew me away. You would think it impossible for him to blow you away anymore. It's just too funny. He literally said, standing at a podium with reporters taking down and recording every word. With me, there's no lying. Which, of course, is itself a lie. <laughs> and there it is, where we are, right right there. That's, that fits on a bumper sticker. There's your president and the quote, with me, there's no lying. We've fallen down the rabbit hole. We are so far, so far down that I doubt that we're ever going to claw our way back into anything that resembles reality. Just a heads up, I have a... Um, I have a guest coming in later. We're going to talk about an environmental issue. Oh, did you see Mnuchin, our Treasury Secretary, um, asked about the the young uh, environmentalist uh, Greta Thunberg. He said, uh, he totally discounted her and said, uh, you know, let her go to college, take some courses in economics, then come back and maybe I'll listen. I can't stand these people. I mean, I really cannot stand these people. Uh, Want to share some, I just saw some I consider good news. You know that I'm railed for a long time about the fact that 
what is most necessary in um, education, especially for young children, and then continuing on throughout the educational road. Is that our doorbell? That must be our guest. Whatever. Listen. Um, is media literacy. Is being able to think critically <clears throat> about information that comes your way. Of uh, noting sources. Of not being a patsy. In this time when information is coming at us at such a speed and let me let me add to that I, by information also even more so disinformation misinformation propaganda sales pitches that we allow little children to have from day one that access to this onslaught of all of those things, information, misinformation, sales pitches, blah, blah, and we don't arm them with the ability to withstand the onslaught and to think for themselves. Who's saying this? Why are they saying this? Do they have my interests at heart? Let me seek out other information. This should be I'm pre-K, K, 1 through 12, constant. Because we live in this now world in which we are pawns in their game and we're given no armor. So I saw something that I liked. The BBC and, well, the reason it got any ink at all is because Angelina Jolie is going to team up with them. Again, we live in an entertainment culture. So if you want to do something, you damn well better get, yeah, some kind of a star to lead. So she, and I'm glad, is teaming up with the BBC to produce a children's series based exactly around giving children the wherewithal to sort through the deluge of misinformation that comes at them from morning to night. It's too late for a lot of older people. They don't have a clue. They get played every day. 20, 30, 40 times a day. So, this program it will be designed to help children learn to sort through all of this stuff. And to me, this is the most important skill that a child can be taught in the world they will live their lives in. 
so good for her. She should eat a little food and uh, put some weight on. She's way too skinny. I worry about her. Um, the director of the BBC uh, World Service said uh, that the program was uh, created out of a need. <laughs> yeah, a need to close a gap in understanding as to how news or so-called news is created and from whence it comes and whether those sources are credible. Had we ever heard of fake news before? You know who? And like all things Trump, he created that concept, fake news, and then proceeded to disseminate it. <laughs> he uh, is the master of projection of whatever he says being the opposite of what it is. Nightmare. So, trying to see what else I got. I don't think I want to get into that. Um, ooh, I haven't looked to see if any of you are saying anything to me. No, no, no. Uh, Barbara says, saw this on MSNBC. Voters in Beaver County talked to Stephanie Rule about impeachment. You know what? Do they ever go to anything other than a red county, red city, rural people who are considered to be real Americans. Do they ever go and ask people living in a city what they think? Never. Because we aren't real Americans. <laughs> we are not. I am sorry. So apparently it says this. Voters in Beaver County tell Stephanie Rule that impeachment is not on the top of their minds in their community. Oh, Stephanie Rule explains for her viewers, it's not that they don't believe impeachment should happen. This is Beaver County we're talking about. This is Stephanie Rule telling people. It's not that they don't believe impeachment should happen. They're saying they don't have the luxury to think about it. What the fuck does that mean? Because they're hard-working Americans. <laughs> Jesus H. All right, I can't, I can't. My get ha! Milton has writ written in, your guest is standing behind you. <laughs> well, hey, then come and sit down. I don't want to appear to be rude. Come on in. Hi. Hi. We've not met, so, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, when you do a sort of uh, show like this where we don't have the staff that we would normally have, 
you had to, you know, suffer through that. Is, is she on camera? Yeah? Okay. Um, and she is, I wrote your name down because it's long. <laughs> it is long, and I would bet also, uh, if I were a betting person, that you're going to pronounce it incorrectly. Okay, let's try. Okay. Danica? Donica. Oh, right. <laughs> Well, then why is that A, not an O? Well, it turns out you can say an A more than one different way. Um, but you can also blame my mother who read it out of a book when she was pregnant and technically mispronounced it. <laughs> so, sorry, my guest is Donica. Am I going to get the rest right? Buchanan Wollaston. Yes. All right. <laughs> Donica. So how often do you have to tell people? Oh, um, every time, every usually time. multiple times. And how often do you think, Mom? <laughs> it's all right. I've got over that a little while ago. Yeah, I still have not forgiven my parents for, <laughs> for the name they gave me. I don't go by it. Lynn, okay. is, my <laughs> Lynn is my middle name. Oh. See, I think that's a good idea. Is if you're going to give your child a really difficult to pronounce first name, if you give them a, a relatively straightforward middle name, you're then... They might be okay. Mm -hmm. So what's your middle name? <laughs> under some contention, actually. Your middle name is under some contention? It, it, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a contentious subject, but it's not God! particularly so, interesting or what I'm here to speak about. Oh, jeez, <laughs> I hit a nerve. No, it's fine. What's in a name? <laughs> Apparently a lot. So Donica is here because um, you have a... Would you call it a passion? <laughs> I think certainly a passion. Um, but the the reason that I I got into this was actually sort of um, accidentally. I'm working with I think what we would call a, a coalition, um, a group of people who are generally much more passionate and more effective than I am at doing things. So um, my role so far has been just bringing people together. Um, I'm working with a group called Pittsburghers Against Single-Use Plastic, which um, is oh, now is. officially yeah. one year old, unless you consider it from its um, iterations. <laughs> well, that's a good, it's a good anniversary. <laughs> it is. Um, but th this time last year, it wasn't called that. Uh, it, was, it began as what was intended to be a three-month-long interfaith challenge to reduce single-use plastic. Um, so we had um, several different groups, um, starting with Pittsburgh Friends Meeting, right, the Quakers. And we also had the UU Church and Sixth Presbyterian and a couple of other groups that were involved in what the was usual suspects, <laughs> I must say. <laughs> what was never supposed to be a permanent um, movement, it was designed to be a three-month-long challenge to raise awareness and help people think about how plastic affects their lives and how much of it there is in our lives yeah. and <coughs> to try to you know, support one another in reducing it on an individual level. And at our very first meeting, um, all of these incredibly motivated individuals showed up who sort of began with, well, yes, but we already know a lot of this, and we're already doing a lot of this, so what else can we do? And at the end of our intended three-month-long period, we had gained a decent amount of momentum. You know, we had been invited into circles that, you know, it, take, it had taken other groups a long time to get into, and we were able then to, you know, Get your Continue message. moving, right. Yeah. Um, <coughs> we had people who said, well, the work's not done. 
Oh, <laughs> God, it's so not done. After three months, you would think it would be, and yet. <laughs> um, so we... I shouldn't have brought this in today. <laughs> I stand guilty. I, we all are. We all, there's not a single person who has managed to completely rid themselves of single-use plastic. And even if you, um, even if you look at Reset. you know documentaries <coughs> about people who um, who have really really reduced it, who are storing all of their garbage in their basement, um, and they're showing you like this is the one bin of non you know of disposable trash that I had for the year, and it takes up one square foot of space in my house and. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of people who are who are doing that, mostly very wealthy people, but <laughs> but yeah. um, it's impossible to completely get away from. And in some ways, we're not saying we necessarily want to completely get away from it. It would be nice, but oh, yeah. there are some things, like especially when it comes to medicine, where you are never going to entirely get rid of some of that, partly due to sanitation issues. But we're talking about the things that are not necessary. Well, you know, I got my... My city, my city guide to recycling just the other day. Better recycling, better Pittsburgh. And it turns out that Pittsburgh has changed what they will accept. Yes. And it turns out I've been filling my blue bags with stuff they don't want. Well, and including the blue bags. You're right. <laughs> including the blue bags. Well, I just got to get. It's like, you know, you can't. Okay. So guys, here's the thing. They don't want your yogurt containers. Right. So is, they the, don't want you know, I, I I just had to I just had to throw out this um container in which I brought strawberries mm -hmm. and blueberries. Mm -hmm. Those little plastic clamshelly things. Mm -hmm. They don't want them. So now Every time I buy those, I am adding to this just total waste. I used to feel good because I throw them in the recycling. Mm -hmm. Well, and I'll get to that in a moment, but the reason that they have tried to simplify it by saying, don't put your yogurt containers in, don't put this in, they're simplifying it by shapes in the hopes of decontaminating the recycling stream. So what they're actually saying is, we can't recycle number five plastics. And instead of trying to help people understand, you know, the sort of complicated issues around what can and can't be recycled. So don't look at those numbers. Don't look at the numbers in the triangles well, anymore. Yes and yes? no. The issue is that people are putting things into their recycling that are not one of those numbers that can be recycled oh. in Pittsburgh. So what they're trying to do is simplify that by saying these types of objects, right, the jugs, the bottles, the jars. Those are okay. Those are okay. There are things that are not those things that would be fine to recycle, but they are trying to make it easy for people to understand so that we don't contaminate our recycling stream. Because if we put objects into the recycling that cannot be recycled, they will... They end up tossing out the whole... They end up tossing out the, the whole, whole batch, thing. and it ends up in a landfill anyway. Now... Here's the, the other thing that I wanted to address that you said was you would buy these plastic clamshells and you know they're recyclable so you feel good buying them because you know you can recycle them. But this is part of the problem with our culture is that every single step of the plastic process is harmful. <laughs> it's dangerous to store your food in plastic. It's dangerous to have it in your house. It's dangerous to wear clothes that are made out of plastic. It's dangerous and not sustainable. What do you mean it's dangerous? 
I'll get into that in a moment. But the entire creation from, you know, refining either oil or natural gas, because depending on which expert you talk to, it depends on what plastic is made out of. People can't really agree on whether it's made out of oil or if it's made out of natural gas. But the refining process, creating um, ethylene cracking, um, production and transport, you're polluting and, um, you know, creating a toxic environment every step along the way, including the transport of these objects. Yeah. So it's dangerous to the environment and it's dangerous to so us how to am create I supposed the to plastic. Buy, how am I supposed to buy strawberries then? The same way we bought strawberries before 1960. But they, that's not available to me. <laughs> there I are actually places where it is available. There are a growing number of places. Um, there are places like uh, Giant Eagle and the Food Co-op where you can buy a lot of your food in bulk. Even when it's out of season, you can go to, in the summertime, Giant Eagle? and fall. I don't see no strawberries at Giant Eagle or blueberries that are there are places. There are places where you can buy your food, what we call naked. Yeah. Right? Where you either put it in a container that's provided by the store or you bring your own container. You bring your own bag and you can buy it that way. And that's really the goal that we're moving towards. It's so huge, this thing you've taken on. Because as you say, every, I mean, the minute you start thinking about it Mm -hmm. and what would be required to reduce it let alone get rid of it Mm -hmm. it's overwhelming um and then you saw and this came from the wall street journal just uh i think two days ago by the end of this year in china non-biodegradable plastic bags will be largely banned Mm -hmm. from major cities so they're they're moving Mm -hmm. and single-use straws will be prohibited Mm -hmm. Uh, the band will extend to all cities by 2022. Mm-hmm. So they're not, you know, Giant Eagle says we're going to stop plastic bags uh, by 2025. Well, I actually, I, I do want to correct this partly because what Giant Eagle is doing is not just getting rid of the plastic bags. They are saying that they are going to, by 2025, get rid of all single-use plastic that they have control over in their stores. They are not just getting rid of the blue bags, although that is a pilot program that they're running right now at their waterworks location. They are also switching their branded merchandise to reduce the single-use plastic that they are selling in their Okay, stores. so market district stuff, what do they call that? that, that when I see their brand. Right, stuff, their, the Giant Eagle dist- brand. Yeah, will not be by 2025 in plastic. Yeah, uh, I don't have all the exact details about it. I know a specific example they cited was their bottled water. Okay. Um, But China was where we were shipping all this crap. They don't want it anymore. No, they don't. And India we were shipped. They don't want it either. So what is the point of who's taking it anymore? Well... A lot of places just aren't. And this is the problem, and this has been the problem systemically for a long time, is we throw things away. But, I mean, to quote a lot of climate and environmental activists who came before me, there is no away. There's nowhere it goes. Well, we could stick it on a rocket ship and pollute the space. (laughs) We're doing that, too, by the way. Right. right. We're going to make the moon into a huge landfill. Which wouldn't be terribly sustainable either, given the amount of jet fuel it would take to get everything up there. Jesus Christ, we're doomed. I'm telling you, we're <laughs> well, doomed! We're not, but right. we do need to... I'm going to sip from my plastic single-use. <laughs> 
We do need to have a really major, incredibly systemic paradigm shift. And yeah. it's a very difficult paradigm shift to make because as I heard when I was um, when I was coming in, you're talking about, you know, these places where they go and they pull workers and ask them about their priorities. <laughs> And for places like up in Beaver where they're building this shell, that cracker ethylene plant. cracker plant, yeah. they can't afford to disagree. It's a very, you know, when you have disenfranchised workers who need jobs, who need to support their families, yeah. you know, how can we get them to agree Well, we also have to a say no? This kind of thing, this huge paradigm shift you're talking about, has got to come from government in large part. Like China has said, hey... It's gone. It's gone. Mm -hmm. Can't have. F figure something else out. And um, our government's totally dysfunctional, so it right. ain't going to happen. Well, and if we love anything in America, we love a free market. So uh, and there's a lot of pushback on that. Not only do we love a free market, here's something we love even more. We love convenience. This is true. And convenience is what plastic mm -hmm. is all about. Well, and there's something to be said for convenience because... If I didn't own a car, if I didn't have access to good public transit, if I didn't have the time because I needed to work two jobs to support three children, would I have the ability then to do what I do, which is drive around the city, you know, in any given week, going to four different grocery stores, because this one, I can buy my pasta without buying it in plastic. And but, in that one, I can buy my rice. But see, here's where I, my mind starts exploding. But by driving around the city to four different locations, you're polluting the, you're spewing crap into the air from your car. Right. And there's something to be said for that as well. Um, you should ride your bike. <laughs> <laughs> I do when I can. But it's inconvenient. Oh, God. Um, but, you know, some, some issues of convenience are issues of convenience for people who have the means to do inconvenient things, but issues of necessity for people who don't. Yeah. Um, and it's so pervasive. It's everything. So what can, okay, give us a sense of what, like, I mean, every time you try to do the right thing in here, it seems like you just pop, you know, hit another thing that mm -hmm. you know, I don't know nobody knows where to start well I think everybody but, knows where uh, to start it's just okay. that there's so many I mean, places I, to start because it's so overwhelming that starting with one thing you feel like you're neglecting everything else and the answer is start with what you can do well here the city of Pittsburgh says tips to reduce single-use plastic mm -hmm. use reusable grocery bags absolutely I do that Uh, use reusable water bottles. I don't do that. Um, use uh, reusable glass containers. Right. Like. So to give you an example, um, I care. Actually, I brought with me today, although I don't have it on me right now, my reusable mug that I carry yeah, with me everywhere. Yeah, I see people. Um, I actually, and this is partly about forming habits. It's right. just that you have it with you everywhere. I've gotten so used to carrying my own cup that I actually almost walked out of a restaurant holding their glass <laughs> a couple of weeks ago because I stood up, put on my coat, and picked up my cup. And um, at which point my partner looked at me and was kind of like, what are, you, uh, what are you planning to do with that? <laughs> but, you know, um, so glass containers are one of the things that we are very much in favor of. 
for a couple of reasons. Um, because you can still put them in a microwave because they can be pretty sturdy. You have things like jars, um, things like... And you can reuse them. You can have a nice big... I mean, I sometimes, yeah, I'll keep a really good mm -hmm. glass jar. And then, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Use it for... If I, if I buy, you know, soup or pasta sauce that comes in a good jar, I keep that. And then I use it to buy my bulk items next time I go to the store. Oh, so you go to the store and you not only take your own bags, you take your own mm -hmm. packaging. Absolutely. Okay. Give me some <laughs> other. Well, that's good. Well, there's. It's about making and, small choices, uh, and obviously we can't just dump out everything that we have in our houses that are plastic right now. I still have a lot of plastic containers that are food containers in my house because it's not good for the environment if I throw all of those in the garbage right now. It's maybe better for me health-wise to not be consuming whatever those plastic things in my life are shedding, which is where the danger comes from with clothing that I mentioned earlier. But we can't just go through our entire lives and throw out all the plastic. We can't just, you yeah. know, get rid of all our cars and buy new completely electric cars because, well, for one thing, we need to be careful about where that electricity is coming from. But more importantly, if everybody right now just got rid of their cars and purchased brand new electric only cars, that's not sustainable either because that's a whole lot of production. You know, you need to sort of ride that bell curve until you get to the point where your old car is, is officially less sustainable to continue maintaining than it is to buy a new one. Gee whiz. You know what's going to happen? We're just going to blow the whole thing up and people will be living like cavemen again. Then the, pro <laughs> the problem will be you grow your own food, <laughs> you, you, you don't have electricity, you, you, you build you know, your own fire. I, I, I mean, I, I just think that's what's going to end up happening. I'm, Some dystopian, you know, back to the future thing. I think if we can't get a lot of people on board, that may be certainly true. But as yeah. I've seen, well, with with what we call Pass Up, Pittsburghers Against Single-Use Plastic, and the other groups that we're working with, the Plastics Collaborative, Sustainable Pittsburgh, the Isaac Walton League, all of these groups, there are a lot of people. There are a lot of people who are very interested in this. There are a lot of people who care a lot about it, who are spending a lot of time and energy on it. And it's starting to show, not just in these huge government-led programs in, you know, China. No, I go to, you know, I go to a restaurant now, some restaurants, and, mm -hmm. and if I order something that might have a straw, they will say, do you want a straw? Right. Which so gives me asking. the right, where, where I say uh, no, you know. Right. No. Um, but, you know, you get these, these are starting to show market trends. There are places, I mean, the, the entire, you know, sort of amorphous entities that produce plastic are starting to reduce their production because the demand for it is lower. People don't want plastic bags. And the more we say no to them as consumers, obviously this huge systemic change is going to need to be what happens in order for us to really cause an impact because, you know, the quote-unquote 99% is not really the problem, but we as consumers are able to affect the decisions of people who produce. Well, the only way we're going to get a handle on this is when the 1% the figures out how to make money mm -hmm. on making the change. Right. Don't you think? I mean, seriously, that's when they... Well... That's when they start thinking. That, uh, or if we okay. have, you know, major campaign finance reform and then get people in office who will actually make choices that are in the interest of the people who have to live with those choices. Here's some, getting some feedback from the audience. 
While what your guest is saying about plastic is true, it's also what's driving people crazy. I just found out last year that our recycling curbside pickup doesn't recycle glass. So I now save my glass and take it to Construction Junction, who does? Anyone know what they do with it? Because I thought glass recycling isn't happening. My house creates lots of liquor, wine, and beer bottles. <laughs> he's, he's having trouble in the Trump era. We, we, I've heard of this. <laughs> if liberals like me, who also have a lot of liquor, wine, and beer bottles these days, are getting frustrated with recycling rules, what do you think is doing to those normally not so inclined? I mean, yeah, we feel overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. We do. And, mm -hmm. and I have a very, very liberal friend as mm -hmm. if she would eschew the word liberal and say you know she's a commie <laughs> and she doesn't recycle much and she says why should i nobody else uh, you know i'm supposed to what it's a drop in, in the ocean it's a grain of mm -hmm. sand i'm not wasting my time and in some ways I can see that argument. And glass oh. especially is a big problem because um, not in the city of Pittsburgh, but outside the city of Pittsburgh where you have so many communities that have to do their own recycling, um, it's a problem with glass recycling because glass breaks. When you put it into a bin, right. when you put it into a truck, right. glass breaks. And if it breaks, it can become dangerous to handle, it can become difficult to contain, and it can contaminate other recycling streams. And then we have that issue with contaminated recycling where we have groups who just end up throwing out huge batches of recycling. This is why people don't want American recycling. Oh, little Tony says, I got the recycling guide, but I didn't read it. Well, you're not a very good citizen, are you? <laughs> and he wants to know, did it mention pizza boxes? <laughs> yes, it does. It did. It did, Tony. They don't want them. They don't want them. Yeah, because again, it's that issue. If the it's about and this is why they tell you to clean your recyclables as well. Um, is that they don't want contaminated things. They don't want things they have to clean. They don't want things they have to sort. They don't want things they have to filter. And they can afford to be choosy because there are not a lot of good recycling facilities in the United States. You know, I once saw, I, I, you know, I've been very, my garbage is like a million blue things, plastic bags, and like just one little you know so i don't have a lot of garbage from my mm -hmm. household anymore almost all my stuff is recycling mm -hmm. i thought but i once saw the people picking it up throw it all in the same right you know you see something like that and you think what the what am i sitting here mm -hmm. doing all this stuff Right. Well, and that's something that we've run into with Pass Up again and again and again is that we get very into this conversation about recycling because recycling, it's what we call a gateway issue. People are so confused and upset because they see things like what you saw where they're like, I thought I was doing the sustainable thing and it turns out it's not. Yeah. So we, we introduce this. We actually have a whole team dedicated to recycling education. We started a website. Um, which I would recommend um, to anybody who's confused about what you can and can't do with your recyclables. It's called Recycle This Pittsburgh, so RecycleThisPGH.com. And it's an item by item. You can scroll through a list of pictures. It says, what do I do with this? What can I do with that? And you can see not only, you know, What's what are you, RecycleThisPGH.com. 
recyclethispgh.com. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's a it's a website oh, that we've created to help people sort of as an entry to this sustainability and reduction conversation to really start looking at what can I recycle? More importantly, what can't I recycle? Who takes my... I've got a jar full mm -hmm. of old batter, you know, double mm -hmm. A, triple A batteries. Mm -hmm. Who wants those? There are a lot of battery recycling programs in the city. There are places where you can take them, but some of them are really picky about what they can and can't take. Some of them require that you put tape over the batteries when you put them in a bin. Um, and this kind of information is what we're trying to disseminate on this website because it brings people into the conversation. When they're frustrated about this, they start to realize, you know, that recycling itself is not our best option. We have to stop creating and stop buying the things that's that we end up needing to go. recycle. Well, that's an important takeaway. Yeah. Recycling is not the best option. We've got to stop creating all this garbage. Exactly. Because that's what it ends up being. And then we have these things in our lives that are plastic that we can't recycle that are just garbage. Um, I want to circle back around because it's something people don't think about a lot. Um, something that clearly was surprising to you is the idea of plastic clothing. Synthetic clothing and how dangerous it can be. I'm trying to figure I, if I'm wearing any. Um, um, you probably are. I probably am. I think this sweater is yeah, synthetic. Yeah, this is probably. And for all I know, I mean, if you have like uh, uh, petroleum-based, uh, mm -hmm. you know, like so uh, the easiest fabric. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. And the easiest way to get That's this across to people is when you finish washing your clothes and you clean out your lint trap. What's in the lint trap? If your clothes are made of plastic? Nothing. Nothing? Plastic. I don't see, I don't see no plastic in my <laughs> lint trap. There's when, plastic in there? Because when you wash your clothes, they degrade. When you wash yeah. your cotton clothes, they degrade into lint that's made out of cotton. When you wash your plastic clothes, they, they degrade, degrade into lint that's made out of plastic. It gets into our air. It gets into our water. It's very difficult to filter out those kinds of microplastics. Wait, so if I have, my, my jeans might have like 2% spandex in them. Is that plastic? Yes. It's a disturbing thought. I got to tell you, my lint trap is just filled with dog hair. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I see. Thought That's all we see. But you're, I, I don't see, so okay. Well, and a lot of it comes out in the wash and goes <laughs> down your drain. And gets into the water. Just trying to make the water supply better. I, you know <laughs> what? I, this is why people go nuts because it's... It's yes, everything. Yes. We are like... This is when we see, yes, how interconnected mm -hmm. we all are. How we're all in the same space. We're befouling our own nest. Every little thing we do. But what's maddening is when we try to do something right and then it seems like that's... I don't know. Because it is, it's a series of small choices. Okay. On an individual level, right, you have to get to this point where, you know, I'm not perfect. I still buy food in plastic. I'm not going to pretend like I'm, you know. How are you supposed to get yogurt if it's not in plastic? That's one of the things that keeps coming up. Because things like, especially dairy, there are a lot of proponents of veganism in the plastic movement because meat and dairy are two of the hardest things to buy without, not, without buying plastic. 
Um, so there are some people who are saying, you know, so then you stop eating it. Stop eating it. Yeah, but yogurt's good for you, <laughs> and I like a big fat steak. So I, right. Well, um, then there are places where you can get meats wrapped in paper. So that's a more sustainable option. Dairy is very difficult, though. It's very hard to get things. Like if you're going to buy a container of yogurt or cottage cheese, yeah. where do you buy it? Um, and that's one of those things where we need to put pressure on the people who are producing right. those. That they could be in what? What could it be in? Yogurt? Glass. Glass. What it used but to be in, right? Oh, yeah. Remember the... Remember the day... You're too young. <laughs> remember when the milkman came to your house every day and he left bottles? Yeah. There are places in Pittsburgh that do that. There are several milk companies where you can buy your milk in glass bottles. You pay a bottle deposit. You bring the bottles with you when you go back to the store. And your milk costs less when you bring your bottles back. Yeah, but in case you hadn't noticed, nobody's drinking milk anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Not all as much. These, all these milk companies have gone. All these dairies are... But this is the thing. This is the thing we keep coming back to is people say, but how can we possibly rid ourselves? Well, before 1960, it wasn't there. You know, what did your parents and grandparents do? Right? There you go. They lived better. And they lived in a in that regard well, in a healthier. There are some things that weren't. Well better. that's right. That's we'll put right. it this way. But There's that more caveat. simplistic kind of a lifestyle. Not so consumer oriented, not so convenience oriented. I'm not, not so I wouldn't necessarily go as far to say it wasn't as convenience or consumer oriented. There are a lot of ways where the nineteen sixties were not maybe better than what what's going on now. Oh heck yeah, I was right? there. Yeah. Um but there was this huge movement, uh, right? Um, they reference a lot this line from The Graduate, right? Plastic. Plastic. Yeah. Um, and at the time, it seemed like a joke. You know, it was a joke. Uh-huh. It seemed silly. The joke was on us, huh? Exactly. So, you know, people used to bring their own shopping bags, or they had paper bags, which arguably are not very sustainable either. But or they bought food that day that they were using that day, mm-hmm. right? You, you, and Europeans do this a lot. They just shop mm-hmm. on a daily basis for the food they will use that day. Which, again, is something of a luxury, having the time to do that. Well, the if they don't live in a car-oriented culture where you, you, you there's a, mo- a little market, right? That, again, this is back to the future where things work better. So... <clears throat> Donica, see, I avoided saying your name. <laughs> Donica, we've got just like two minutes left. What, given those two minutes and such a huge subject, mm-hmm. would you want to, you know, leave the audience uh, with? I think um, it's it's a hopeful message. Okay. Right. Um, if you want to find other people who care about this, even in just Pittsburgh, there are hundreds if not thousands of us. There's a few hundred people who have gotten involved with Pass Up just in the single year. Pass even. Up being, and do you have a, a website? Is it? We are, we're currently in the process of starting a website. It's okay. passupnow.org, P-A-S-U-P. P-A-S-U-P, Pittsburghers Against Single Use Plastic, mm-hmm. .org. We're also on Facebook. They're on Facebook. Also, mm-hmm. remember, replace uh, recyclethispgh.com mm-hmm. for information. Right, which is uh, one of the projects that we did around this time okay. last year was getting that website started to help, you know, bring people into the conversation. Um, our next meeting is going to be on, pardon me, February 
23rd. That's the Sunday, right? February 23rd at 2 p.m. Um, we're still meeting at the Pittsburgh Friends Meeting House in Shadyside. Um, so if you're interested in that, well, you know, that that's on Ellsworth it and is. Um, more, more and Neville. No, Ellsworth and it's between Clyde and Devonshire on Ellsworth. All right. If that helps anyone. <laughs> yeah. Well, isn't it across from like the uh, Ellis School? No, not the Ellis School. No. Winchester Thurston. No, it's it's a little bit down. Oh, from it's there. down farther. Yeah, you're right. I'm thinking of the mm-hmm. yeah. I'm thinking of the other liberal church. <laughs> yes. Um, which the we which is still involved with us. I think. Yes. Um, <laughs> But it's there are people who care about this, and the fact that we care about this is making a huge impact. Um, somebody that we're working with, Mike Stout from the Isaac Walton League. Oh my, Mike is an old warrior, right? Um, is an incredible speaker. Um, yes. You know, he has told me about times where he's been in those rooms with people who rely on plastic, who rely on fossil fuels for, for their, their jobs, jobs. Sure. Um, who rely on this industry that's ultimately harming them. Right. Um, and it takes him all of 20 minutes to turn a room of a thousand people around, around because Mike they're not Stout. getting the facts. Um, He's still in the fray. God, oh, I absolutely. Mean, he is, that that right is an, a community activist that is just, uh, he's mm-hmm. amazing. Yes. Um, I'm very lucky to have any kind of connection to the Isaac Walton League and the amazing work that they're doing. Um, and that's how I felt this entire time is I have been, you know, in working with this, um, this group and all the other groups that we are getting connected with, just blessed with an overabundance of people who have energy and are really, really effective. That's why we were able to get Jay Costa to come speak at our pass up event last August to come talk to us about this ban on plastic bags that we don't have time to talk about now unfortunately but no it's a huge subject you've been wonderful and 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 really um really informative and if any of you want to get involved in a more activist way i think uh get in touch pittsburghers against single-use plastic uh, all the other organizations you mentioned Mm -hmm. or go to that meeting february 23rd it's the sunday it's the sunday around then at what time Two. two Yeah, at the Quaker Meeting House Yes, on Ellsworth near Neville. Neville. Close to Neville. That is correct. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And you guys, I'm out of here now. God, watch the damn impeachment thing, okay? Be a citizen. Oh, but it takes so long. Come on. Seriously. Okay, and have a nice day, and I'll see you Monday. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m., and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.